Hello, welcome to Vax Talk. This is a podcast for the people who have something they believe in and like working with people they like. Yay. <laughs> Which will be something like our title. I'm Karen Ernst, and I am the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Nathan Boonstra. I'm a general pediatrician here at Blank Trums Hospital in Des Moines, Iowa. So, Nathan. Hey. Uh, last week, I took a trip to Atlanta. Uh, you did. <coughs> I did not. No, you didn't. I'm sorry. <laughs> Next time. Uh, but in Atlanta, I did one exciting thing, and that's that I got to ride a really big Ferris wheel. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, it was pretty funny. I think I, I saw pictures of that. Yeah, I Facebook lived it. Cool. Um, but that's just for my friends, so don't send mm-hmm. me friend requests just to see this Ferris wheel video. Oh. We, I uh, went with... Go, go take your own Ferris wheel pictures people yes <laughs> carrying exactly. along exactly they're all over the country uh they are i went with our good friend dorit rice yeah um i said someone needs to go on that ferris wheel with me and she was the only one who agreed and we walked through downtown atlanta um and there was this giant line like a block before it and i was like oh my goodness this ferris wheel is really really popular uh, and so we got in the line, and Dorit said, is this the line for the Ferris wheel? And the woman said, no, this is the line for the Skeleton Motorhead View concert, or I don't know what it was <laughs> called. It was like, I was like, well, that's why everyone looks like super metal, and I look like a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> so we got out of line. We kept walking down the street. Um, people asking us, do you have extra tickets for the Skeleton whatever, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> no, we're going to the Ferris wheel. And so we stop, and there's two people standing outside what looks like the entrance to the Ferris wheel, and they're like, oh, darn, it's closed. I'm like, the Ferris wheel is closed? And they said, no, the Chick-fil-A is closed. I'm like, how did (laughs) it? It was like, it was the randomest thing. So then we keep walking, and we get to the Ferris wheel, and there's no line, and we get on, and it's this nice Ferris wheel ride, and Mm -hmm. it was fantastic. But I Were you able to see the Metal Skeleton Man concert? No, No, it was sold out. Was it burning? but you couldn't see it from the very tall ferris wheel yeah unfortunately it was like an indoor thing so i I could see the roof and the patio Mm -hmm. but i'll tell you i did not go to atlanta to go on the ferris wheel okay and i didn't go to atlanta to um greet my pharma shill overlords sounds like reason enough though I mean, right. I did go to Atlanta because it was the National Immunization Conference mm-hmm. attended by 1,400 people. Wow. And I got to meet all sorts of interesting people. And this episode is a whole bunch of mini interviews from NIC from those people I met, people who work in various aspects of what I call the vaccine world. So we will get to that later in the show. But first, I thought I thought we would start with Around the Web. Okay. Why don't you go? Yeah, so I was just going to talk a little bit about um, the recent survey that came out. I'm looking at a news report on NBCNews.com called Public Support for Vaccines Drops a Bit. And it's written by Maggie Fox. And it looks at a um, basically a survey that's done by this group called Research America who commissioned a group called Zogby Analytics to survey a thousand people and apparently they did this back in 2008 and then they compared the results. Um, And so what they found was some evidence in this particular survey that vaccine confidence is slipping a bit among parents. So 
I, I'm going to try to go through a little bit of the results if you look at the people that answered. So they asked the question of how confident are you in our current system in the U.S. for evaluating the safety of vaccines and recommendations for when they should be given. And about 32% said they were very confident and about 45% uh, said somewhat confident. 12% said not too confident. I think a Minnesotan wrote that one because it sounds very like not too confident. But uh, <laughs> And then another 6% said not at all confident, 4% refused and that is kind of a little bit of a shift from the 2008 uh, data that they have it of course is in the text here and I don't have it right off the top of my head here it is um, where 53% said uh, somewhat let me see here sorry 53% uh, said somewhat confident and so that somewhat confident had slipped down to 45 um, and then they also kind of asked about whether people felt that they had personally benefited from the development of vaccines in the last 50 years. And so 59% uh, answered strongly yes this recent year com compared to 75% in 2008. And there's one other statistic here that was what people answered when asked, thinking about the common vaccines available today, such as polio, tetanus, measles, and flu, how important do you believe vaccines are to the health of our society today? Where 70% said very important, 22% said somewhat important, and then 4% uh, said not too important, and then 2% said not at all important. So, uh, and that was another little shift uh, from 10 years ago. So, you know, I don't know what your thoughts are on these kinds of surveys, but I always take them a bit with a grain of salt because I'm always looking at, well, what are the outcomes of them? And I'm far more interested in looking at the National Immunization Survey from year to year and seeing what the actual immunization rates are and how they change. Um, and looking at exemptions in my state and seeing how that changes. And I see mixed results with that because when you look at national Im immunization survey rates, vaccines pretty much stay pretty level from year to year. You, you see some variation, but you're not seeing like England post Wakefield levels of dropping of, of vaccination rates in any particular vaccine. Um, whereas at the same time, you see waivers increase. Like, I, and I don't look at every state, but in Iowa, we see waivers for kindergarten increase dramatically over the last five or ten years. Uh, I don't know quite how to always make that mesh in my mind. I don't know if that just means that the even you know the number of waivers are a small, still relatively small, so that, so those don't really affect the overall immunization rates. You don't see that reflected in the National Immunization Survey, or if it's because only a small number of vaccines are refused, and that doesn't, you know, for school, but so that doesn't really affect the overall numbers or what. But the surveys sometimes like this, I don't know that it, it provides me with a whole lot of information. <laughs> and then you see the headlines that are out there, and then people react, and I, I think I, I much prefer to look at outcomes. How do you feel about this when when you read this? Yeah, you know, I have a I have a few thoughts, and the first is I agree with you. Watch what people do, not what they say. Mm -hmm. uh, and with the waivers, you know, sometimes I know people will skip one vaccine in a series, and then they just fill out the waiver for the whole thing because it, it's 
gosh, a lot easier than filling out a waiver for this vaccine and then your vaccination forms for all the rest. Um, so th that might be what's part of what's going on with waivers increasing, but vaccination kind of staying steady. Um, it's hard to say, though. I mean, you'd really, I, I don't think that the National Immunization Survey really tells us that. And a lot of times how um, exemptions are collected also doesn't tell us. But I think a lot of times what happens in your office, what you're seeing day to day in clinic is, is very informative. Uh, th my other thought is that w we're living in a political climate today that's a lot different than it was 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. And so if you're asking people, do you trust the systems of government meant to keep you safe? Sure. I mean, <laughs> it would be interesting if the immunization question were also that included in a broader yeah broader public survey. health and, if those and institution questions right uh, or if there were questions you know included that made people think about the immunization program not as a governmental program because while our government is in charge of making sure our vaccine program is safe well so is your pediatrician your pediatrician sure. plays a role in that so are the you know county immunization nurses that you see this is this is a multi-person multi-area you know team effort that includes all the parents who vaccinate their children too. So I, you know, I, I, I agree with you taking it with a grain of salt. I do think, however, even though we're living in a political climate that maybe is a little less trustful of government, we do need to keep in mind that because of that, we might need to do a better job explaining this is how we make sure our vaccines are safe. This is how your pediatrician, you know, friendly Dr. Boonstra, who likes to talk Star Wars with your kids, this is how he plays a role in that and how he's keeping apprised of all of that. And I, I think that all of those things are important. And I've always said, you know, the more faceless you make something, the harder it is to trust it. But we trust our right. doctors because right. we know our doctors. So Do I, was, I actually just brought my kiddo in to the doctor yesterday. And he said, you know, you might want to try this over-the-counter medicine. And I asked him a question about it just to kind of see mm -hmm. what his perspective was on it. Um, it was uh, it, about it, the connection between this particular medicine that I'm not naming because I never name medications on this mm -hmm. program mm -hmm. and um, tick disorders. And he, mm -hmm. you know, he gave this long spiel. Um, we talked about correlation does not equal causation. And I kind of smiled. I said, so it's the vaccines that do it. And then he laughed. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but, you know, that, that time we spend with people really makes a big difference. A survey will only tell us so much. It, one of the things that's interesting to me is I kind of feel like we're in, I feel like a lot of the hesitancy had its heyday, like in the, in the first decade of the 2000s. I feel like that was when there was a lot of that publicity that was the as much as i hate to attribute anything uh to jenny mccarthy that was when she was giving a lot of attention to the issue and making a lot of media sensation out of it and so it kind of surprises me because i feel like now we're in the age and this is you know i'm kind of certainly going on this as an anecdotal like my own personal experience uh situation where i feel like there is better pushback 
and more community like I feel like things are getting when that stuff comes out there there is more of a response from the community to say no we're not going to entertain this idea of and hey we don't like this false balance and you see I feel like we see certainly we have seen examples of false balance in the media but it's not as widespread and then to see the survey that doesn't necessarily reflect that makes me wonder like what what is it are we are we paying attention to this in the right way? Of course, where you brought up kind of the political climate, we're also in the climate where we have to realize that polls don't always matter. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so maybe we shouldn't really dig too deep into it. But at the same time, I think it's an important thing to keep a finger on the pulse of because, you know, we kind of neglect these kind of signs at our peril. So uh, I don't know that this gives us any kind of call to action on this or, or thing that you can do, but something to be aware of that uh, we don't necessarily know um, how much of an impact we're having on these kinds of beliefs, but we can look at the impact that we're having on immunization rates. And so far, those things are really quite strong and we just keep it up transitioning to mine this is our transition as just me saying the word transition apparently that's how we pivot <laughs> i got an email a request for this one and it's a very good request so i just want to notice or put our listeners on notice that we'd love to take your requests for around the web if you see anything you want us to talk about just email me at info at voicesforvaccines.org and then we'll talk about it. So this request comes out of Queensland, Australia, um, but it's a request from a woman in California. So a woman in California posted something. It's this nice picture. I think she probably made it on Canva.com of you know two women's hands holding coffee mugs on a shiplap table, and and, and it says in nice little script to my pro-vaccine friends and family. And it begins, I'm just going to read the first two paragraphs and then I'll read selections because it is very, very long. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> I, I really, go. every time I've read it, I've had to like pause because it's, it's very long. But it says, Dear Pro-Vaxxer, as someone who once believed in vaccines, who vaccinated my child, I'm asking you to hear me out. I know you, I know you might think I am either one, stupid, two, uneducated, or three, crazy. I know you think questioning vaccine safety is akin to believing in conspiracy theories. I know you are angered to think that there are people putting, that there are people putting children in harm's way because of the increasing rate of vaccine refusal. This is really um, where the crux of, (laughs) I think, her belief system is. I know you find the practice of vaccination to be an incredible scientific advancement and that you that you are deeply thankful for. I know you believe in the benevolence and goodwill of those in the medical profession. I know you believe that the benefits of vaccination outweigh the risk of harm. I know you believe that vaccines save lives and that with them we have eradicated horrible diseases and made the world a safer place for everyone. How truly inspiring and absolutely wonderful is that to believe, to believe humans have changed and can continue to change the course of history, the threat of disease, morbidity and mortality through medical innovation. That is really an incredible idea and reality that many of us really want to believe. 
Uh, and then it goes on and on and on and on and on. Um, she talks about how you can trust her because she's a toxicologist, which I guess isn't true. She has a bachelor's degree in something related to toxicology. Okay. Um, and then she has a whole bunch of links she posts uh, there. And it's, you know, some of them are to like um, Neil Z. Miller. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah, that guy. Yeah, who believes He's in... my favorite. Th- he believes he talks to aliens. And I'm not uh-huh. throwing that out there as a jab. No, that's not... Yeah, that's, that's not a, a joke. <laughs> that's a real thing. Um, Green Med Info, lots of Facebook posts. Because um, she talks about how she doesn't get her information from blogs. Yeah, what I'm not noticing in this is a much of a toxicology text or anything like that. No, it doesn't really have to do with toxicology. It's... So, um, and at the bottom of this that I'm looking at, it looks like it's been shared 5,382 times. Hmm. I'm guessing not by people who are pro-vaccine. Probably not. No. Um, So there's a couple things. First of all, I want to talk about how this is so stinking long, and I work so hard on all of our content that is primarily text to make it succinct and short <laughs> and bite size mm-hmm. because I don't want to lose people. Yeah. But people who are anti-vaccine write these long tomes and they get shared 5,000 times. So that drives me nuts. But also uh, the, the reason I read those two paragraphs about believing that about risks and, and everything is that, you know, Paul Offit has his, one of his favorite phrases is that vaccines aren't a belief system and right. science isn't a belief system. It's, mm-hmm. it's really not about beliefs. Uh, I mean, I, people in medicine, some of them really are benevolent. Some of them are horrible people because there are lots of people in the medical profession, but they, they don't have to be good for vaccines to do good. They, we can look at the <laughs> data mm-hmm. and see the good that vaccines are doing. You know, you're talking about people who don't see vaccines as um, important in the Zogby survey, but... You know, I'm guessing that none of those people have ever had polio or smallpox. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty easy to see that and to come back at, you know, it's not that I believe vaccines are great. It's that when the experts who know so much more than me look at the data, they continue to, I don't know how to put it, when they look at the data they are able to put forth a program based on the data that reduces any risk of harm from vaccine and makes the benefits beneficial. So I don't know if you had any thoughts about this particular Facebook <laughs> rant. You know, the I have a lot of thoughts about <laughs> this rant. Um, my, the first thing that jumped out to me is the same thing that jumped out to you, is this idea that this person loads up the beginning with false premises so there's all this like you believe this how truly inspiring it is to believe these things as if this is like just you know making something up and just wanting to believe it and therefore it's true without the facts which is 
of course, ironically, what a lot of people do if they're opposed to vaccinations is decide on the conclusion that they believe and work backwards from that, um, which is what I think this person has done. If you read mm -hmm. through the narrative, she has a child with some level of disability has decided it is vaccines and then has worked backwards from that she's done her research quote unquote and found the things that fit the narrative that she believes and right. so that is a little bit of the irony in this in this screed um the other thing that jumped out of me was the the false premise of where she started off where you read that she said that i know you think it's stupid or uneducated or crazy for questioning vaccine right. safety Nobody thinks that. Right. Nobody minds questioning vaccine safety. And in fact, the people that we know that are experts question vaccine safety all the time. Yes. And we've had conversations about legit concerns about vaccine safety that get addressed. There mm -hmm. are legit concerns about vaccine safety that get questioned, that get researched. If they turn out to be true, they get addressed. Uh, and so there's all this kind of loading of, of these false premises early on and then to go into then the argument that is put forth for you know how hers is not a belief but a done by research and investigation into this issue and then to look at what she's been using for that is stuff like the Neil Z. Miller book which is the worst possible person no, the least possible expert worst possible book uh, you know, non-scientific source, um, Facebook posts from people from herself, uh, from herself, um, Green Med info, in which she puts in parentheses. Please check all the sources in this article. Linking of the linking of the patents. Okay, let me just check the accuracy of your source for you. Um, right. You know, other blog posts like not looking. Clear, not even you know majority of these not being good reliable original sources and certainly not being put into context of other information that's there and it's just it's the same story that we see every time it's sad that this gets shared so much and i'm sure that there's a lot of just sharing in the same echo chambers and mm -hmm. i i often have the litmus test of do i did I hear about something like this from somebody that wasn't already connected to vaccines? So not because you sent it to me, but because mm -hmm. somebody at work said, have you seen this thing? Have you, or, or just posted it in my Facebook feed. I have a few people who will occasionally post something, not thinking about me. They post some, share something anti-vaccine. I haven't seen this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, th there was that nice rebuttal that our friend, uh, Dr. Vinci Anelli wrote, um, that we should probably give a shout out to yeah so he's got oh i brought it up here somewhere you know what i'm going to include the rebuttal in the yeah. show notes good and not this original post oh great idea yeah i don't want to give this original post lots of traffic sure i will mention that one of our voices for vaccines discussion forum members on facebook shared this post there and there's a pretty robust discussion of it there hmm. and so if you want to look at it more i recommend you join the voices for vaccines discussion forum and go ahead and read what people are talking about there and then you don't have to expose yourself beyond that um, <laughs> uh, but the, uh, the last point i want to make about this is that sort of similar to what you're saying i don't see your average parent 
your average parent who vaccinates her child reading this and changing her mind because it is front loaded with sort of some condescending like you said straw men um and it's sort of like pat pat your head sweet dear it's so nice you believe that and i think that would turn most people off and they would just stop reading it yep um and then, okay, last, last point. Um, I, I, I really do not believe that vaccine-refusing parents are stupid, uneducated, or crazy. Absolutely. I, I just Absolutely think they're, they're just incorrect. And being incorrect isn't a moral judgment on anyone. It's, it's just incorrect. So uh, I, I, I'm not terribly concerned about this but i am very grateful to our friends in queensland australia for sending this to us and you know keep sending those around the webs because sometimes you send things that we've missed and uh i really want to know what you're looking at and what you want to hear discussed okay when we come back from the break you'll hear more about my trip to atlanta hey nathan yes karen what's what's one of your favorite interweb sources that you send people to about vaccines? Well, uh, probably one of the best resources that I use, especially for very specific concerns, is the Vaccine Education Center at the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia website. You know, that is such a coincidence. Is it? Yes, because the Vaccine Education Center of Philadelphia has sponsored this episode. Well, what do you know? The epi- this episode of Vax Talk is sponsored by the Vaccine Education Center of Child- at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. The Vaccine Education Center explains the science behind vaccine-related questions, so parents can be assured they are making decisions based on the best information. In addition to a broad array of parent-friendly handouts and online information, the Vaccine Education Center also has a special program for parents called Parents Pack. That's a capital P, capital A, capital C, capital K. Uh The program features a monthly newsletter, a mobile, uh, they also have a mobile app called Vaccines on the Go, What You Should Know. Uh-huh. They have a sh- short question and answer videos featuring Vaccine Education Center Director Dr. Paul Offit. Uh-huh. There's Just the Vax, a vaccine-themed online trivia game. And Vax Pack Hero. Yeah, I was going to say. I was just Googling that to make sure it was still on here. It's but still if, there. You, if you've got kids who like Pokemon, or hey, you know, maybe you're an adult who likes Pokemon. I don't know any of those. Um, I know lots of adults. <laughs> I don't know anybody who still plays Pokemon Go at lunchtime when they're working. Um, the, uh, <laughs> the, 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 the thing that you can do is uh, you can check out this game, which is very retro, kind of 8-16-bit um, Pokemon-style game about vaccines and uh, and uh, the people who created them. And it's very Pokemon-y. Mm-hmm. And they describe it as an online game and trading cards for kids to learn about the scientists and other heroes who made vaccines a success. And my little grandbaby, who is the cutest thing in the whole world, just turned two months. And his wonderful and amazing mama brought him in for his two-month vaccines. And he did great. 
Mm -hmm. And I think this kiddo needs to be sent one of the things I picked up at NIC, which is part of the Vax pack, but it's the card that tells the child that he is a hero for getting his vaccines. So I, I do believe that that will be headed off to said grandbaby in the mail. Oh, cool. Very neat. You can learn more and subscribe to the Vaccine Education Center's Parents Pack newsletter at vaccine.chop.com. Dot edu slash parents p-a-r-e-n-t-s all right well should we uh talk a little bit about the national immunization conference well tell us all about it tell us all about it well i told you the most important part which was yeah. the ferris wheel right um so this is a, a really nice conference it takes place in atlanta every other year mm-hmm. and it brings together really some of the foremost researchers and scientists and people in the immunization field all into one place. People really come from far and wide to attend across the country. Um, and it's it, the great thing, as I said before, is really that you get to connect with people that you don't see very often. So what I decided to do, be, I took the opportunity while I was there to sort of grab people who normally wouldn't be featured guests on our podcast. I met new people. <laughs> one poor woman who sat down next to me for lunch and she said can I sit here I said yes here's a (laughs) microphone could you hold this for a second and then she got interviewed (laughs) (laughs) which is great and you know what she gave a great interview and I was like I am so glad you agreed to this because I never would have never would have met her otherwise never would have heard her story the the big thing really I wanted to hear from people is why do you care about vaccines? What what motivates you? What what is in it for you? How did you get involved in all of this? And so before we hear our other people interviews, I kind of wanted to ask you, you know, you went you are a pediatrician. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously you give vaccines, mm-hmm. but you're a little more passionate publicly than your average pediatrician about immunizations. So what what gives Dr. Boonstra? You know, I actually have a a blog post on this topic too that I did um, last year for the, there was a, the, the National Immunization, Infant Immunization Week blogathon. So you can go to mypedsgeek.com blog and check that out from somewhere last year. Um, But the upshot is that I got into it because I did have the experience as a medical student of running into some vaccine hesitancy. I actually did a rotation in an area of the state um, that has a chiropractic college and has relatively high uh, immunization refusal rates at the time. And so that was kind of my like jumping in with both feet to realizing that this was a real thing. Like a number of people were refusing vaccines and it was surprising. And the, the, how vehement some of the responses were took me back a bit. And so I would carpool to this uh, like over an hour carpool each way. And so I, we would have these discussions in our, our carpool about like what gives like where is this coming from and i was really interested to figure out like a what is the basis like what should i be reading more about to learn about vaccine concerns and risks and do i have all the information and also where do parents get their information if they're wrong 
where are they getting the information that they're believing so strongly? And that kind of started my interest in this. And I'm a bit of a puzzler guy, so I like to unlock things. I like to finish the video game. I like to solve the crossword puzzle. I like to do that kind of stuff. So for me, it was really kind of an investigation. Like, okay, there's an answer to this. I'm going to figure this out. And that led into interest in how parents get information in general about medical decisions. Segwaying into residency where I would see some of the effects. So I've seen multiple children die of influenza who could have survived had they been immunized. Coded personally. Um, a child who died of influenza. Um, and I've seen, you know, whooping cough in young infants. I've seen a few things like that. I've never seen measles and I've never seen polio. Uh, and I've certainly seen various forms of meningitis and pneumonia and whatnot. Um, so that kind of then flipped the other switch that was like, this is a big deal and this is something that I can uh, advocate for. Mm -hmm. And so it just kind of evolved from there and then kind of just got into online advocacy met people like you on <laughs> Facebook where we're kind of like, hey, there's something we could do. We can start spreading. We can start refuting bad information. We can start providing good information. And that really scratches that, like I said, that kind of puzzling itch. Like, I kind of like that feeling of like, I don't like to, I don't want to, it's more, it's less to me about being right and more about solving a puzzle. Like there's a right mm -hmm. answer to this. And I know this is not true, but there's still a part of me that says, I can make this person understand. <laughs> I can solve right. this puzzle for you. And that is absolutely not true about the majority of people that you might run into online, but it's interesting to me to do it and has continued to be it. And then kind of expanded into more general, like I need to take, we need positive messaging. And now I do things like give the class quarterly to expecting parents on immunizations talk around the you know in the area about various immunizations hpv is a particular need for advocacy so i've kind of fallen into doing more advocacy for that and i like doing it i like doing all of it and i think that immunizations are such an interesting thing that are they're so life-saving the science behind them is fascinating um there's something we can all kind of relate to um, and uh, it's just a great topic. I, I don't know what it is that draws me particularly to that, but that's kind of the history. So that was probably a longer answer than you needed for that. But no, it was great. It's so <laughs> interesting because, you know, I know the point up until you started commenting on, or I don't, I don't know the point up until you started commenting online, and then, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. then I know what happened. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was all downhill from there. Right. I, I had... Um, a similar experience as far as wanting to figure out why people were refusing vaccines, but mine was personal in a different way. And that's that. And I wrote about this on the Seattle mama doc blog years mm -hmm. ago. I remember that. Um, yes, because I had a back and forth with mm -hmm. a certain doc pediatrician to the stars about mm -hmm. it. But my, yep. my baby, when he was 10 days old was exposed to chicken pox. Um, by a, a mother or by a mother and child actually because both of them came down with chicken pox um, and she had purposely refused to give her child the chicken pox vaccine I found that out because I said to her child I thought it was weird her child got chicken pox I said didn't you give him the vaccine she said well that one's not important I always like to pause here and say this was a 
very kind woman, generous, kind, giving, just didn't think the chicken pox vaccine was important. And that's sort of when it became real to me that, oh, if people refuse vaccines, they can be the people I know and like and expose their children to my children. And that's a big deal. Um, That was followed shortly by the H1N1 outbreak. And that's when I kind of got online at that point and started trying to figure out why people were not wanting a vaccine against this really horrible flu that was spreading across the world and making kids really sick. Uh, And and I really wanted, I went online because part of it is that I had a young child and I was a stay-at-home mom and so I had time to go online, but also because I wanted to be able to talk to the people I knew in real life and tell them it's the same flu vaccine you get otherwise. It's just a different strain of flu. It's not untested. It's the same vaccine. It you know, your chances of dying from this flu are so much greater than having a bad side effect. And just all of those talking points that we know by rote. But I, I really um went online to learn them. And I I read a lot of news stories from credible news sources. And I think that for me, that was a really good entry point because I don't have a science background. I was an English teacher. I am great at discerning a good source from a bad source, but reading science takes a very long time for me. And I usually like to collaborate with people who are scientists to make sure that what I've read is correct instead of just having a sentence pop out at me is important. So, you know, I was re- I was listening to NPR, I was reading our local newspaper, I was, you know, reading those sorts of n- health journalism news sources, and, uh, I- and it was very helpful. I know on our local public radio station, Dr. Mike- Michael Osterholm was being interviewed a ton during the outbreak, and he is a pretty passionate person about flu pandemics, influenza, flu vaccines. And so I felt like I was getting good information from him. Unfortunately, uh, Dr. Michael Osterholm can sometimes scare the bejesus out of you. (laughs) So I was very afraid during the influenza outbreak, which probably (laughs) sparked my concern. But also because I was going online and I was signing up for Facebook pages that seemed good and credible so that the latest information would sort of come to me. Uh, I signed up for what's now the Vaccinate Your Family page, and that's where I met you. Uh, and I also got some practice talking to parents who were refusing vaccines, and it, it did, it, like you said, it, it scratched that itch. So that's a very truncated version of how I went from teaching Shakespeare and the Odyssey to telling people to vaccinate their kids. Um, but I did go around NIC and I asked people sort of similar questions. And I want to start with uh, a wonderful man named Dr. Alan Hinman. He it, he is one of the people who helps me on a daily basis with Voices for Vaccines and all of the work I do there. And he really gave some great advice in general about your career, but I think also about 
advocacy and and what makes it so great. So I'm going to go ahead and play that. My name is Alan Hinman. I'm with the Task Force for Global Health, and I'm a volunteer member of the Scientific Advisory Board for Voices for Vaccines. I will give you the career advice I give all young people, which is if you want to have a good career, find something you like to do that you're good at, that helps others, and puts food on the table. And if you meet those four criteria, you'll have a good career. Mm -hmm. There's a fifth criterion, which if you meet that, you'll have a great career. And the fifth criterion is working with people you like to work with. And I work with people I like to work with, so I like to continue doing that. So what do you think, Nathan? Do you work with people you really like? You know, one of the great things about being a pediatrician is you only go into pediatrics if you like kids and mm-hmm. you work with uh, in the everybody that you work with likes kids. So you get to work with uh kids and people who like kids. And so yeah, I'm I'm fortunate enough to be in such a job. Um and so I think that's obviously just great advice. How about you? Do you like those of us that you work with? <laughs> You know, it's great because I always tell people that my coworkers are cats because I work out of my house. Yeah. But actually, I think about my coworkers as being people like you, obviously, because we co-host this, mm-hmm. being people like Dr. Hinman um, and also many other people, you know, people from Vaccinate Your Family like Erica DeWald and Amy Pisani and Christine Vera, people from you know, parent organizations like the Ithaca's Immunized Moms, uh, people like Ginny Sue from Immunized Texas. Mm-hmm. I really have this gigantic pool of amazing people whose stories fascinate me, whose passion inspires me, whose depth of empathy is is palpable and I love working with them and they really do keep me going. I think that vaccine advocates are some of the most fun people to interact with. Um, That's true. Because all of us, like we have that mix of we're really interested in children's well-being. So we must really, like most of us who are vaccine advocates are focus a lot on childhood immunizations. That's not the only area of advocacy, but we think a lot about kids and kids' health. And again, those are, in my mind, the most fun people. But we also have this desire for science and evidence and Mm -hmm. that drive to figure out the truth and one of the challenges that we all are looking at is how do we get this information out in a cool way (laughs) and so we're all kind of trying to have fun at the same time as we're doing very serious work in terms of stuff that has life and death consequences and and that's i think what makes all of these people that you mentioned and many others so much fun to communicate with and and work together with on a regular basis so that is a great transition to um the end of Dr. Hinman's interview and another interview with a woman named Tiffany Dent and sort of talking about the advocacy part, but also where it all begins for them um, and, and how great it is working with the people they work with. So let's go ahead and listen to that. Probably it was being sent to Honduras in 1965 to investigate an outbreak of poliomyelitis and help organize um, an immunization campaign. They were not at that time using polio vaccine. I was a very young EIS officer, epidemiologist, and 
it was uh, it was very interesting. I, I had lived in El Salvador in Mexico, and that's one of the reasons I was sent there because I speak Spanish. So I I was familiar with the culture, and uh, it was my one of my first. Ag- adventures and trying to help organize something because I had been in clinical training up until three months before that. I'd been seeing patients one-on-one and here I was being involved in a public health program, something that involved health centers around the country as well as the Ministry of Health in Tegucigalpa. The thing that I have been most interested and passionate about is measles and rubella. And uh, it was 36 years ago that uh, Don Hopkins and Jeff Copeland and Mike Lane and I wrote an article called The Case for Global Eradication of Measles. And I, I keep waiting for that day. I hope it will come in my lifetime. But um, since I'm 81 now, we better get on it. My name is Tiffany Dent, and I'm with Scientific Technologies Corporation. When I was in grad school, I did a program with my MPH that also uh, coupled with the Peace Corps. And so in my Peace Corps experience, I was actually in Honduras, and we worked on immunizations. And we would go, you know, house to house and look to see. They had little cards that, you know, we were carrying around that they, they kept in the health center there. And we would try to, you know, see if that every member of the household had been immunized. And if so, if they were due, then they would go ahead and, you know, try to get as much coverage as they could. So seeing that, you know, in a developing country kind of really led me into this work. I have uh, two very small children and so you know when I see that there are kids out there that are not getting vaccinated and it's leading to illness and and death you know that really touches my heart personally because I want to make sure that my kids are growing up in in a healthy world so uh, the two of them is what motivates me to continue doing this. So one of the things that really uh, struck me about those two interviews was that these are people who really got outside their normal world, got outside the day-to-day, what what most of us experience. Mm-hmm. Both of them went to Honduras at very different times yeah. and really got to see what effect VPDs have across the world, vaccine-preventable diseases, which is something that most of us don't see. And probably, you know, going back to that survey you said th- th- around the web, one of the reasons why maybe people don't realize how important vaccines are is they really haven't seen up close how devastating the diseases are. Right. Well, that one statistic in particular where it talks about, do you think the vaccines have personally benefited you? That seems like that would naturally decline over time. As we get farther and farther away from diseases, people are just going to naturally answer that less it it may not be necessarily a conscious realization of what they're saying in that as it is so much like yeah you know i don't really feel like vaccines have done a lot because i don't feel the danger of these diseases that we've been immunizing against and eradicated from the united states for uh, in some cases or greatly eliminated greatly lowered you know in other cases for decades mm-hmm. at this point so that 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 stat doesn't surprise me too much but to hear those stories about people who go where the real where you can just so clearly see how beneficial vaccines are i i can't imagine there could be very many people who are strongly opposed to vaccines that go and have that experience and come back and still hold that belief yeah that would boggle my mind (laughs) yes 
Uh, there are some, but... <laughs> uh, there are certainly some. But there are some of every kind. <laughs> exactly. People come in all kinds. Uh, and, you know, the, I'm glad you brought up people feeling, did I personally benefit? Because one of the things I heard from people was not just, did I personally benefit? But I really feel I'm compelled to protect children. That mm-hmm. I feel that the work I do or the reason I got into the work I do was that I really wanted to make sure the children around me were safe. So our next three interviews speak a little bit to that. Jesper Jensen from TrueMed Systems. We make the AccuVax vaccine storage and handling unit. Yeah, I, th- I think it's always about what you give back to the world. Uh, you know, we have luckily, in my case and for many people, your job is much more than just a job, that we get to go to work and at the end of the day, if we did our job well, we protected the integrity of vaccines and helped people get optimal protection from the products that they do use. So that feels pretty good. My name is Emily Kilberg and I'm affiliated with Nurses Who Vaccinate. I am a nursing instructor at Clayton State University here in the metro area in Atlanta. Basically educating students so I can reach, you know, 120 students a year and educate them on the importance of vaccinations and give them tools that they can use in their own practice. This is Allison Winicky with the Immunization Partnership. My mother was a public health nurse and she did a lot of community immunizations and so I really got to see her in action and see the impact that she had on the community and I know that it made a great impression on me. That actually was probably one of the main reasons that I got into public health and public health policy. I kind of joke that the reason I didn't follow in the health professions field is because I don't have a taste for um, blood. (laughs) But I saw that there is a real need for um, expertise in public health policy making and lawmaking. And that's really how I felt like I could contribute to the field of immunization. I'm just so passionate knowing that I can help at least one person in the community. Because if I can protect one person from a vaccine preventable disease, whether it's illness, disability, or death, that's enough to keep me going every day because I know that the things that I do and other vaccine advocates and healthcare professionals do, we really do make a difference. And that's what keeps me going every day. Those three interviews were interesting, Nathan. We've got one one person who felt compelled to make a better vaccine storage fridge, which is certainly mm-hmm. not a typical thing that a person would do. Then we have Emily Kilberg, who's, you know, voices, or not voices, <laughs> Nurses Who Vaccinate really is one of my favorite organizations. Melody mm-hmm. Butler started that, yes. whom we're both good friends with. Mm-hmm. Um, and really, you know, she she feels like the what she tells people really takes that to another level and of course Alison Winicky so um, I you know I think that we all feel like we want to protect kids but it takes different forms what we do with what we want to do or what we do with our motivation to really protect children yeah and I think it's so important to realize that there's not just one way um, to approach this issue so not everybody is going to be you know doing social media and blogging and um there is the gamut from 
I'm going to invent a fridge that does a better job perhaps of, of storing vaccines or I'm just going to work in the industry to do something that helps vaccines, right? To I'm going to make this personal and talk to my friends to okay. I'm going to do broader educational um, uh, uh, re outreach and whatnot. There's such a wide range. Um, and I like to hear from all that. I like to know that we're all working together towards that one goal. Mm -hmm. uh, and we talk a lot about how you have to be vocal. And I think everybody does have to speak up to some degree, but not everybody has to be, you know, a web guru and be putting <laughs> out content all the time. Absolutely. The, the, we all are contributing in our own ways. So I really like you saying that because the next two interviews I have lined up for you are two women who again really wanted to to dig in deep and find their own ways and they're totally different ways even though these women both come from a law background to reach parents but it came really from a point of similar to me realizing that vaccine refusal around them was a real thing it's not just a thing that you you read in the washington post about uh it's it's a or see in a you know in an episode of house it's something that is for a lot of people really close by. So let's cue up those two. And I, I have a feeling you're really gonna enjoy these two interviews. <laughs> My name is Nadine Gartner and I'm the founding executive director of Boost Oregon. The triggering event for me was not that long ago when I was pregnant with my first daughter, um, or excuse me, my first child, uh, who is a daughter. <laughs> I, living in Portland, Oregon, and all of a sudden with my pregnancy, friends of mine with whom I'd socialized for years and who had children before me started asking me, do I plan to vaccinate? Will I vaccinate on schedule? And I was really surprised by these questions. You know, I'd been friends with these women for years and had no idea that they either refused vaccinations or delayed it. And so it really got me thinking, what is happening here? These are smart, educated, affluent women who have access to health care. Why aren't they vaccinating their children? But thinking back as a child, I grew up listening to stories of my grandfather, who was a doctor in rural New York. York. And he used to tell incredible stories of how patients would come from all over the state. You know, he was the closest doctor for a lot of them. And they would travel long distances for vaccines, especially for their children. And sometimes they would pay him in chicken eggs or vegetables from their garden. And so I grew up with this idea that vaccines are really this medical miracle and something to be thankful for. And then during college and short and afterward, I spent a lot of time traveling around the world and going to places where vaccine preventable diseases are pretty commonplace. And just my eyes being opened to the the reality that these diseases still exist and that vaccines really are the reason why we've been able to keep these diseases at bay here in the United States, I think must have left an imprint on me, which, you know, I've never really thought about until having this conversation with you right now. I'm Carrie Youngdahl. I work for the College of Physicians of Philadelphia on the History of Vaccines website. When I was a very young mother living in Oakland, California, right on the border with Berkeley, I met so many young moms who weren't vaccinating their kids, and I was shocked. You know, I was part of a baby mom and baby group, and I would say that half of the parents there weren't immunizing either at all or completely. And I had never even, it had never occurred to me that people wouldn't choose to vaccinate their children. 
the progress that we are seeing on some of eliminating and reducing some of these diseases is just amazing to me. Thinking that we're close to ending polio, thinking that we're really going to affect HPV cancer rates in this country by keeping immunization rates high is what motivates me. And there's always new information to learn and share and always progress that we're making. My name is Dorit Rice and I'm a professor of law at UC Hastings College of the Law. I had a child in uh, 2010. It was actually in the middle of the pertussis outbreak in California, but I wasn't aware of the anti-vaccine aspect of that. I was aware that there's a pertussis outbreak, I was aware that there's a concern. I got the Tdap when he was a week old and I was not aware that vaccines were an issue until two years later. I was really interested in being a good mom and one of the ways I got there is because I like to read is reading online a lot of parenting things books articles parenting blogs and one of my favorite blogs Squint Mom had an article about MMR and someone made an anti-vaccine comment I answered there was a bit of a back and forth but not very intensive and most of the back and forth was by the blog owner who was a scientist and I started reading more about the topic and I posted a few things on my Facebook and one of my students my my former students in the law school said have you read the book the panic virus you might want to read it so at his suggestion i read the panic virus it was good enough that i read it within a few days and my main takeaway was that not only is anti-vaccine activism a problem but pro-vaccine parents should be speaking up so i went online thinking i'd make a few comments and when i looked up vaccines on facebook and i got to vaccinate your family and there was an anti-vaccine commenter and i got a little more in- involved than i thought than I intended to. <laughs> that is the understatement of the century. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it was challenging enough that I started reading more and looking more into things. Even in that first encounter, he talked about VICP, the National Vaccine Injury Compensation Program. So I started reading about that, and that was a legal aspect. And I became more and more involved in the online commenting, which, because at the time I was doing a full-time job, had a very young toddler, etc., was a bit of a kill sleep and kill every free moment <laughs> because you have to keep up with everything else. A few months later, I met one of my colleagues, a really nice professor who teaches health law and torts, Professor Rob Schwartz, and he said, oh, you're, you're writing about vaccines. You know, I teach about this every year in my health law class. Why don't we do a panel with what you're learning and with, with what I'm teaching? So we organized a panel about vaccines for January 2013, and that was kind of the beginning of thinking that maybe there's something here that could relate to my work as a professor. So I tried to edit out the parts of the interviews where I said anything because Mm -hmm. I was really trying to let people's voices speak, but I couldn't help laughing halfway through Dorit's interview when she talks about, (laughs) I got a little more involved than I intended to. (laughs) There there is somewhere a grand list of understatements, and (laughs) that statement is like, uh, I'm trying to think of comparable understatements, like... (laughs) You know, Jar Jar Binks is a bad idea in, in, in the prequels, and then there's I got a little too involved in in online vaccine advocacy. Quote, Dorit Rice. <laughs> so yeah, that was great. And said in her like completely dry way too. I just I just love that, and I really have complete confidence that everybody who listens to this podcast has seen Dorit 
online somewhere and uh, knows why that's such an understatement. But certainly you don't have to be Dorit to comment online. I did ask right. her. Actually, I made a number of jokes during NIC. Um, mm-hmm. she, she said at one point, I want to go to this session, but I also want to go to this session. I just said, well, send one of the other yous. Right. Aren't you 500 people? That's what the anti-vaxxers say. Mm-hmm. <laughs> send, the, send in the clones. Absolutely. I wanted to talk about, too, how people are motivated, not just because they're reaching things or they're seeing refusal and they're trying to reach people online or they're trying to reach people the way Nadine is through really a personal approach, but that they've had real life personal consequences related to disease. And so these next two interviews are kind of the opposite, but sort of related to each other as far as diseases are concerned. So listen to this. My name is Michelle Call. I'm from the American Lung Association. I can tell you when I was 18, I actually did get the flu. And when you're 18, it's not fun getting the flu. You want to be out with your friends. And it was right before New Year's Eve. So New Year's Eve, I was unable to go out and hang out with my friends. And I actually had it for two weeks. I was like laid in bed, thought I was dying, not feeling good at all and so after that I got the vaccine every year so when I started working at the American Lung Association it was really a good tie back to that experience that horrible experience I had I have an 11 year old son and he is actually on the autism spectrum and I think that it's important to um, stay involved with vaccines to tell other parents who have kids on that on the spectrum that vaccines are important because there's a lot of parents that have special needs kids who do not want to vaccinate their kids so I'm involved in some online support groups also I have a bunch of nieces and nephews now so it's important that they get vaccinated and also I've just really been interested in the medical field my entire life my family's super into the medical field so I just love it, so that's why I'm still doing it. Sherelle Stevens-Maston, and I am a government employee of South Carolina. I never contracted the chicken pox, and so I was very interested in why that happened to me. I just found immunizations to be um, intriguing, and I knew that they were needed. So I found it interesting that these two interviews are one woman who got sick, got influenza, real influenza that makes you sick for two weeks. Not, mm-hmm. I got a cold and I was annoyed by it. Mm-hmm. And another woman who, despite many exposures, did not get chicken pox. And she told me a little bit more after I stopped recording that she would like have friends who had chicken pox and she would just like experiment with it and like go and rub herself up against their body <laughs> trying to like catch the pox. Uh (laughs) she was a lot of fun she never caught chicken pox people that she was like her mother never caught chicken pox no known history of chicken pox and how that just fascinated her so much that sort of like you it was a puzzle that she needed to put together and you know i can relate to that because those are like that is also similar to mine like finding that thing that interests you and then try to unlock that that's that is and i'm really kind of interested now in solving that puzzle like why didn't she get the chicken pox (laughs) did we ever get to the bottom of that i don't know sherelle if you're out there contact nathan he (laughs) wants to study you 
it's the, it is clearly for you know maybe a few of our readers are like it was obviously some essential oils uh, as a child <laughs> or some uh, kind of organic thing organic foods non-GMO yeah, back in the days before we had all these things I don't know um, but you know she's a person who used her own experiences for good and that brings me to our last interview. Uh, Matt Chando from the Children's Hospital of Philadelphia Vaccine Education Center. Of course, that's our sponsor. So um, I, I had to go and talk to him. He was a fun guy to talk to. He was a lot of fun, super charming, uh, interesting person. But one of the things that really was interesting is that at NIC, you would think that a lot of these people were people who have MPHs or people who were nurses or people who were doctors that those sorts of people and certainly that segment of the population was very well represented but there were a ton of people who talked about uh, you know like I was an English major in college Matt was a journalist people came from sort of all walks of life to come together for this this public good and Matt's one of those people and I find his story really fascinating so let's go ahead and listen so my name is Matt Chando, and I'm the uh, Parents Pack Program Manager at the Vaccine Education Center at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. I was a journalist for seven years, and I, my last kind of sector in that was um, sports health. So I wrote a lot of uh, healthcare stories on, my first big one was on um, sudden heart attacks in uh, teenagers and playing sports, and I wrote a big story on um, teenage females and the likelihood they get ACL injuries and it really got me interested in healthcare. I interviewed a bunch of doctors and physical therapists and that and the journalism industry was kind of transitioning and uh, it wasn't super super um, I guess safe to be in that industry right there from a job security standpoint so I thought well, why not get into healthcare there's no shortage, shortage of healthcare jobs um, I found Ch CHOP and it's an absolutely amazing place to work. First of all I'm proud every day to work here only because of the good it does and I mean, I'm not a clinician. Like, I don't see patients. I, I work in the, the non-clinical world. But even so, I, I don't feel any less pride than, than, than them, I think, just because of, you know, what everyone in the organization does on a daily basis. So, I mean, the, the cheating answer is everything. I just feel proud to work here, um, especially growing up in this area and in the Philadelphia area. Um, it was always kind of a well-thought-of institution. I know it is nationally, but especially in our area, it was always kind of a place um, that was very well-thought-of. And to be able to work there is really a, a point of pride for me. I mean, Dr. Offit and um, Charlotte Moser do, have done so much for so long. And getting to come to things like this, and usually it's Charlotte here, you know, people telling Charlotte what a great job we all do, and, and she's you're very magnanimous about it. Um, but getting to come to these things and hear how everyone uses our information and how everyone uses our resources, it it's almost like a shot in the arm, you know. Uh, it it sustains you on some of the uh, it sustains you on some of the Monday mornings we have to get up and go to work and realize it is a job. Um, and, and also, I just feel like anytime you can help a parent out, because parenting is hard. I mean, I I I'm a new newer parent. So, uh, and I have another one coming, so I know that um, it can be really hard. So I feel like anything we can do to help them, that, that is a tremendous source of pride, and that's kind of what keeps me going. Dr. Offit's a pretty public figure. Mm -hmm. A lot of people know him. Um, people have very strong opinions one way or the other with him. But what do you wish people knew about Dr. Offit that they don't know? I wish they knew that how 
how down to earth and easily easily accessible he is to a large crowd that's how he is every day i mean there's no public face and then there's no private face like he is that nice he is that open and he is that willing to communicate with you i mean no matter who you are if it's a another highly regarded scientist or if it's someone like me who came to science through the back door and I don't have that clinical understanding of things. I'm I'm more a creative person. I'm a writer. Um, I guess his just willingness to treat everyone equally and share his knowledge. So, with that, that was sort of my experience at the National Immunization Conference. I hope that everybody at home got to know and like these people the way I know and like them. I I'm assuming now Nathan likes all of you too. I like all of y'all. All all y'all. Right. Yeah. So. Our our call to action this week is do the thing you can to promote vaccines, whatever that thing is. Do the thing. Win the points. Thank you again to uh, Vaccine Education Center at Children's Hospital of Philadelphia for being our sponsor. You can find Voices for Vaccines at voicesforvaccines.org. My name is Karen Ernst, and I am the Executive Director of Voices for Vaccines. And I'm Nathan Boonstra. You can find me on uh, Twitter. My handle is PedsGeekMD. You can find me on Facebook, and you can find my blog at PedsGeekMD.com.